0: crooked wits of tyrants when they call I hear them all I hear them all I hear them all I hear the sounds of tearing pages and the roar of burning paper all the crimes and acquisition turn to air and ash and paper and the rattle of the shackle far beyond emancipators and the lowliest together gather in their stalls I hear them all, I hear them all. Quit their crying, I hear soldiers quit their dying, One. Wow. Wanting- Gentle lamb of Judah sleeping at the feet of Buddha and the prophets from Elijah to the old piute Babaka.
1: Hello everybody, my name is Luke Marshall, and you are listening to the Things Observed Podcast, and I have a very special show and a very special guest today. Today I'm talking with Nick, and you might know his Twitter account, IRC underscore NIC, which is in all caps, but I'll have it linked down below in the show notes so you guys can go check it out, and he's actually got as his pinned tweet a thread of his threads most of which talk about the Dutro affair, which is what we are going to be talking about today. So first off, Nick, how are you doing? And is there anything you want to tell the audience about yourself?
2: Hey, hello. Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm really excited to to, to be uh, on your podcast and uh, talk about all this. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: Good deal. Well, I'm excited to have you on And I've been really enjoying your Twitter threads on this subject because I had heard a little bit about it when I read uh, Program to Kill by Dave McGowan, and then I had stumbled upon the ISGP studies, kind of that infamous article, um, probably a couple years ago, and uh, learned a little bit about it, but got a lot more context and a lot more information and this thing goes a lot deeper than even I knew. And I mean, I knew that it went deep before finding your stuff. But what, you know, first kind of got you interested in looking into this or, uh, you know, just deciding to dive really deep into it, this research?
2: Uh, So that happened uh, when the pandemic happened, so in uh, 2020. Uh, I had listened to a couple of podcasts before, like, uh, you know, just parapolitics podcasts in general, Uh, and I was interested myself in in parapolitics, Uh, always had been kind of, you know, on and off. Uh, And that's when I really got into the the Brabant Killers and uh, Mark Dutroux, Uh, and I wanted to actually being able to, to read French, to understand French, speak French, and all that, uh, I wanted to see uh, by myself if I could find you know uh, information that wasn't available to the English-speaking uh, public. Uh, so uh, that's exactly what I did. Uh, I picked up books, uh, I looked up uh, documentaries, I did my own little research. Uh, and I found out that there's actually a lot <laughs> that you can get from uh, those sources. Uh, and a lot of it is actually pretty interesting. So I just started, out, you know, uh, writing out threads on Twitter. Uh, and some really cool people started retwe- retweeting them. Uh, and it got uh, attention. And uh, I guess people are also interested in them. So I'm really happy about that. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, how I got into this, into all this.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I was very interested by it. And uh, just a heads up for the listeners I do not speak French and I am in flyover America. So, I am going to guarantee that I'm going to butcher the names and stuff of, of certain people <laughs> and stuff involved. So, um, Just, when you talk about it after this podcast to your friends or whatever, pronounce things the way that Nick pronounces things, because I will not do it any justice. But anyways, yeah, I I really appreciated your Twitter threads on the subject, and I was very, uh, just learned a whole lot about it, and you definitely have an advantage in your research with speaking and being able to read French. But just for the context of the listeners of this show, who may be unfamiliar with the Dutroux Affair or who have not delved deeply into the subject. What is kind of the, for lack of a better term, mainstream narrative of the the Dutroux Affair? What are kind of like some of the basics?
2: Yeah, so uh, the basics, as you say, are the the Dutreux Affair, what's referred to as the Dutreux Affair, is the kidnappings and uh, rapings of uh, six young girls that happened between 95, 1995 and 1996. Uh, that started with the kidnapping of Julie and Melissa in June 1995. That's uh, June 24th, I think, so pretty soon. Uh, and uh, that ended with the kidnappings of Sabine and Leticia in 96, August 1996, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, And the story is that uh, Marc Dutroux, uh, uh, a man from Charleroi in Belgium, uh, kidnapped those girls, uh, kept them in caches uh, inside his house in Marcinelle, that's uh, near Charleroi. Uh, And um, uh, when he kidnapped Sabine and Leticia in '96. Uh, people found out that he was the one that kidnapped uh, Jolene Melissa in 1995, uh, Anne Efio in uh, late '95 too, I believe, and uh, also then uh, Sabine Leticia. Uh And when the news broke that Marc Dutroux was the one who did these kidnappings, uh, people started, uh, you know, kind of questioning uh, what happened there because uh, it turns out that Marc Dutroux was well-known of the police services, and um, that, you know, he he had already kidnapped girls before. Um, And so the, 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 the general population of Belgium was, you know, kind of not trusting uh, the police service that uh, investigated the the, the true affair. Um, And that's really the kind of the the whole mainstream story is that just, it's this man, this, this monster uh, that kidnapped young girls. And uh, he's the sole responsible for it, you know, Uh, that uh, police kind of uh, didn't do their investigation right. And uh, that's why they didn't catch him. And uh, yeah, that's where it ends for the the mainstream story.
1: And as... You know, listeners of this podcast are probably for the most part already familiar with, or even if they aren't familiar with the case, they're always, you know, kind of uh, got a very skeptical audience. And as we get into the conversation, we'll see that there is so much more going on than meets the eye um, in that kind of narrative of things. But anyways, so let's just maybe talk a little bit about who Mark Dutrow was prior to you know, getting arrested and figuring, you know, the public figuring out about these six, six kidnappings. I mean, how did he become this, you know, kind of sadistic criminal that we know him as today? And, you know, was there anything about the way he was raised or his, his family or anything that, you know, would kind of inform us a little bit about what it is that he would end up becoming involved with?
2: Yeah, of course. So there's actually uh, a lot of information available about Dutru's early life. Uh, He was born in 1956, so he's 67 years old today. He's still alive and in prison. Uh, He was born in Brussels, but uh, his family took off for the Belgian Congo uh, pretty soon after he was born, I think three years after he was born. Uh, They lived in today's Burundi uh, in the little town of Bujumbura, uh, I believe I'm saying that right. Uh, and they moved there because his dad was a teacher, his mom as well, and they moved there to, to teach. Uh, and uh, so the, his parents are Victor Dutroux and Janine Lowens. Uh, and they've got quite uh, a troubled relationship, let's say. So they meet in 1956, that's the same year uh, Mark is born, and immediately uh, Janine is pregnant with Mark. And Victor, so his dad, believes that it's not his; it's actually uh, the previous boyfriend of Janine, who had gotten her pregnant, and she says she didn't plan of on having a child. So it's kind of you know already uh, it, it's it's a it's a weird story. Um, and there's even, uh, I mean, it, it goes on. Uh, you know, uh, his, fa- his father Victor talked. Uh, To a lot of of press in the the 2000s when Dutroux was really, you know, the Dutroux affair was really uh, in the heart of uh, discussion in Belgium. And he said all kinds of things like um, when they were living in Africa, uh, his wife, so Janine, was cheating on him with uh, her pupils, uh, that she was involved in incest with uh, Mark's brother, Serge. Um, uh, Serge, who actually ended up killing himself later on in 1992. He was a, a schizophrenic, I believe. Um, and Victor also admitted to uh, abusing young black girls while in Africa, you know, like using slurs and all that in a, in a press article. Like when I read that, I was pretty taken aback, but I guess that's, you know, the, the son the, takes from his dad. Um, and... There is also some interesting tidbits about Victor. So, the truth, dad, uh, his grandparents were actually in a in a real incestuous relationship. So, they were you know uh, relatives, and his dad was a Belgian Air Force officer in the First World War. So, you know, it's kind of uh, programmed to kill uh, background there. Like, it's uh, it's pretty weird. Um, there's also stories later on of uh, his dad uh, in the 2000s uh, being uh, becoming a little little weird little crazy like he he ran for uh, elections in his little village uh, he created his own party and list uh, a communist list uh, he placed a, a speaker on top of his beetle car as a, uh, his little beetle and he just like drove around the the streets of the village to, you know, shout his propaganda. (laughs) And he made just one single vote, uh, his own. Uh, That that story stole from a a guy who knew the truth uh, when they were kids. And people were saying, like, uh, the the family was always a little worried, you know. Um, uh, Yeah, so his childhood is pretty well known but there's not a lot of details about it. Uh, he was the sort of kid uh, who was really shy. Um, and he went from that to always being in trouble. So uh, we don't know much about it, but he was expelled from three middle schools, well, middle and high schools, you know, uh, from, for just being and you know, uh, getting in trouble with his classmates um and he ended up uh, uh, in his teens uh, settling for an uh, electricity work uh, diploma at a special cool special school excuse me in Nivelle. Uh and that's when he got his high school diploma but he was expelled from the high school for selling pornographic pictures to other schoolmates so yeah that's you know, kind of the kind of portrait you can paint of the true in his uh, early life
1: very interesting and it certainly sounds like he comes from a colorful background to say the least and yeah you can kind of see a little bit of that uh possible program to kill kind of background uh in his upbringing and so Something, too, is that prior to, you know, these six kidnappings and becoming involved in this kind of network that we're going to dive into later on in the podcast, he had a criminal background prior to that, and he was uh, up to a lot before um, before kind of the, uh, you know, mainstream um, known Uh, crimes that he would get up to so can you talk just a little bit about um, not his early early life because we just covered that but kind of that period in between his childhood and his upbringing with you know the incestuous parents and the selling pornography at school and all that up until the stuff that most people are familiar with with these you know six kidnappings and these you know possible connections to a, a wider network
2: yeah, so I'll, I'll try to be brief about it because there's a, a lot to talk about. But uh, uh, one thing uh, just before starting that, one thing I forgot about uh, Dutroux's early life uh, until his early 20s. Uh, you know, he was doing a little jobs so here and there, you know, started working in, in mechanics, uh, uh, electricity work and all that, like I told. But he was also a, a prostitute for an amount of time. Uh, he sold his body to older men, you know, to pay his bills. So yeah, that's uh, that, that kind of explains a lot, also about uh, his life in general. Um, and uh, so to get back to what you were saying, uh, is you know, crime, uh, his crimes, uh, really started in the early eighties. That's when he met uh, his wife. Uh, Michel Martin uh, at an ice skating ring in 1981. So Marc Dutroux loved ice skating. Uh, And he often went there in the 70s and 80s to hit on younger girls, uh, minors. Um, And he actually was cheating on uh, a girl he had married uh, when he met Michel Martin, uh, a 17-year-old he had married in um, 1975. uh, so she divorced him after she found out she was cheating on him and he was hitting her. And the, the 80s are really when he started uh, his crimes, which are, you know, uh, I'll start with the, the, the more chill stuff, which is uh, stealing cars, uh, trafficking cars from Eastern Europe, from Belgium to Eastern Europe, Slovakia in particular, uh, which evolved into robbing old people. Uh, even his grandma, um, from thefts to thefts with uh, aggravating circumstances, uh, carrying arms, until in uh, 1985 he started a stint of kidnapping uh, and raping young girls. Uh, so there's between I, I think it's six. Uh, young girls. He, he raped from 1985 to 1986. But there, there's a lot of contradicting information. Some say it's five, some say it's six, some say it's seven. Um, and he was uh, picking uh, girls off the street, uh, filming them, taking pictures, uh, raping them, and then just letting them go. He was held by other people, accomplices, including his wife, Michelle Martin. Um, and there's uh, even curious stories about that because uh, one girl, uh, after being kidnapped, would say that uh, when she was kidnapped, he offered her fruit juice, uh, you know, pollen chocolates, and that he gave her five hundred Belgian francs to go to to go to the doctor and get a sick, no- sick note. Excuse me for a uh, school because she was kidnapped, I think, on her way to school, uh, and he said he was doing this to her what he just did because of her dad was not being square with, with him. So that's the the, the the first wave, really, of crime uh, Dutroux uh, started. And for that, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison in 1986. Uh, there's also, uh, it's even more gruesome, uh, stories about uh, the South of France in 1984. Uh, so yeah, what, what I was saying, it was sentences for those cases, but there's other stories that not not sentenced for, including ones in France, uh, the South of France in 1984, where he picked up a hitchhiker, raped her while uh, his wife was driving in their van. Um, Uh, there's also other stories in France which I don't remember the details of uh, but you know just uh, sick stuff Um, and uh, um, he yeah so he spends uh, mm, uh, I think it's seven years in jail well he gets out of jail in 1992 for uh, good behavior uh, because he served uh, a third of his sentences Uh, and the thing is uh right when he gets out of jail so uh he was you know playing the good guy card in jail acting like he was gonna go uh well he was gonna get better he was gonna take his meds and all that he actually gets uh his uh his doctor from jail because he's on um he's on a limited release at first. Uh, he gets his doctor uh, from jail to actually provide him with uh, drugs and medicine to uh, keep on abusing girls to uh, to the doctor wasn't um, wasn't aware I presume but that just shows uh, the, the the thinking of, of this man of, of mark true how, how far he's willing to go to to abuse young girls and uh, there's a a, a whole stint of uh, abuse from uh, of um, Eastern European girls, Slovakian girls. Uh, there is three of them. Um, uh, it, it's uh, there is a lot of details about it. It's pretty gruesome, so I will not go fully into it. But uh, the, the stories that he brings them back from Slovakia, he charms the, the families back there, uh, presumably offering food, uh, money, and, and all that. And then uh, he tells them, well, the the girls can come over um, uh, to to my house in Belgium, you know. They'll they'll spend a little vacation there and all that. But when they're there, he actually drugs them, puts drugs in their food, and uh, he rapes them while they're unconscious. And even more than that, he films the rapes. So that's kind of the, the, the first moment you can see snuff movies. Due uh, to making snuff movies, you know, uh, and uh, that pre- that that period of uh, when is uh, with the Slovakian girls. That's in around ninety four, and uh, the her starts in ninety five. So I believe that uh, that um, that a period of abuse with the uh, the girls, the, the 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 six girls, and then the Slovakian girls um, shows that. Uh, you know, he's always been like that, you know, even before the, the Dushu affair. Uh, he, he had served prison for it. Uh, he was known of the police services. Um, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it for that time period. Okay,
1: and now I might be asking you to speculate a little bit here, and that's perfectly okay if you don't, don't want to. But when I was doing some research into this, Something that I was wondering is, do do you have any thoughts as to when maybe he started becoming involved with a, a larger network? Because he starts off his criminal career with not just the sexual assault, but the stealing of these cars and stuff. He has this stint in prison. He gets released on good behavior. And then, as you said, you can start to see the uh, you know illegal pornography begin with you know the slovakian girls that he raped do, do you have any thoughts as to when he maybe became involved with some sort of network
2: yeah so my thinking is when he started uh kidnapping girls in the in the 80s that's when he started being involved in a uh, you know higher crimes uh as to say um and that's when he probably like uh, was interested in making a lot of money. So that's probably when he got the, the, the context for, um, you know, people who were into human trafficking, uh, children trafficking. Um, and I, I, I don't know which which uh, year or date would fit, you know, the... the when Dutroux started, you know, like you said, uh, being involved into la- larger global things, uh, a network. But I'll say that uh, in the X-Files, the, the Belgian X-Files that we'll talk about later, um, the, the victims, so the the victims of the Belgian X-Files, uh, talk about Dutroux being already present at some of these um, network parties in the early 80s, and much more like, uh, you know, uh, a, a laid back kind of guy, like uh, a, a guy in the background that's just watching and not uh, taking part in, uh, in in these orgies and abuse. So I'm, I'm thinking uh, that's in the 80s that he got uh, into that kind of uh, th- those circles and that from there he met uh, people People like Michel Nieu, which we'll talk also uh, about later, and that's when uh, his uh, his owner, uh, him being a pervert, started um, you know serving him because he met people that were interested into trafficking those girls, uh, into sending them, sending them, excuse me, to Eastern Europe, to being uh, prostitutes uh, and, and all kinds of things, you know. And, uh also when you meet these kinds of people uh, you kind of make your way up the the, the, the social ladder uh, uh, as to say and that's probably probably when he, he met also higher Arabs you know uh, Belgium elites um and probably gain a bit of protection from that actually.
1: Very interesting. And so in a second, I want to start getting a little bit into the, you know, the six main documented cases of abductions and and kidnappings um, that took place from 1995 to 1996. But just real quick before we get into that, something that I was struck by was kind of how many properties that Dutro owned or had access to. Do you know if it was during his time period after jail that he started to uh, acquire these or was this kind of more close up to that 1995 type period? Because I think that that would possibly be um, a good indicator of, you know, maybe when he began to get involved with some of this kind of stuff, because I mean, did, did he make such a good living to explain why he would have all of these these properties and what have you?
2: Yeah, so that is one of the main mysteries, uh, at least, uh, in my opinion, of the true the, 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 the of her, uh, is that he had up to uh, 10 reported houses that he, he bought that were IS. Um, how did he get these houses? I couldn't tell you. There is not a lot of information about it, but it's really, really curious. Uh, there's at least five uh, that are reported to belong to him for sure. People go up to ten, uh, you know. And there's well, it's a lot of contradictory information. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that there will at least ten, uh, if not more. Um, and but also, uh, le- let's not build like a, a kind of myth, you know. Uh, I believe those were like um, broke down houses or like really old houses, but most of them were being worked on, worked on, sorry, as to house, uh, you know, um, little caches in the in the basement. Uh, so that is really curious. And uh, uh, like you said, uh, even, uh, you know, broke down houses and like old houses and all that, they cost, uh, they cost money, they cost a lot of money. Um, and where did he get that? Uh, so he was, you know, uh, thief. like he was stealing cars, uh, selling them. Uh, he was probably doing um, stuff in uh, Eastern Europe, uh uh, probably even human trafficking uh, at the time period because we don't have any information about it and he never talked about it, but it's a possibility. Maybe he was already, you know, kidnapping girls and uh, bringing them back, uh, bringing them to to Eastern Europe or even selling them in, in Belgium uh, for, to prostitution and all that. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's very curious, you know, you, you wonder, like, how does a guy like Marc Dutroux, so who comes from such a background like his you know he, he wasn't he had a basic high school diploma you know he was stealing things to 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 live you know oh does a guy like that uh ends up owning like from five to ten houses you know how oh, does that happen there's surely there's something at play here uh i don't know what it is uh, i don't think we'll ever know what it is unless he admits it himself and even then uh, can we trust him uh, so yeah, it's very curious. And I think, like you said, it's a clear indicator that whenever he got this houses, which I believe is in the ni- eighties, excuse me, uh, it shows that, you know, he was, in, uh, he, he was making money, he, he was getting somewhere, you know, he wasn't just like the, the Petitif from Charleroi, you know, making his way uh, in the streets, uh, whatever, you know, he, he was getting somewhere with his houses.
1: Very interesting. Okay, so we've taken a look at his upbringing, at his kind of suspect family that he was raised in, his initial stint of crimes. He gets out of prison early for good behavior, and he goes right back into all this kind of criminal activity, and he's starting to acquire these kind of broke-down, dilapidated houses where the basements are being, you know, outfitted for these caches and stuff like that. And so now let's skip forward just a little bit in time to this 19... Is it 1995, this uh, time period that begins yep. with the... Okay, so let's get into that, So some of these main kidnappings. And I mean, um, feel free to get into as many of the of the grisly details as, as you want. But I more want to get into this as kind of a, a jumping off point to where we can start getting into uh, all the... Uh, Interesting stuff that we learn coming out of this and then you know the the X-files cases that we'll, we'll get into later that start to really solidify that uh, Something definitely strange is, is, is taking place So so tell us a little bit about these uh, six main kidnappings that the public's kind of the most familiar with when it comes to the Dutroux story
2: Okay, so um, Just to, to paint a, a little picture here uh, with these six victims uh, in the '90s, that puts us around 70 young girls that we know of that the two abused. So that that's the kind of uh, that that really shows you the the kind of person this guy is, uh, whether he's involved in something bigger or not um and, and i think that's you know that's really interesting because when you think of the true you think of the the, the six victims rightly so because uh, those girls went through hell but there's uh, a, a lot of unsaid things uh, about this case and a lot of uh, media attention that's not going to to these other cases and like i said that's 17 young girls that we know of I'm pretty sure there were other victims. Uh, so, yeah, to get into uh, the true affair, so that starts in uh, on June 24, 1995. Uh, Julie and Melissa, two little girls from Krasolung in Belgium, they go uh, to play outside, uh, the two of them. Uh, I believe they take their bikes uh, and they go up to a little bridge. Uh, right near the house. So that's like a, a five-minute walk, I believe. Uh, and they were never seen again. So um, that's when it, it, the, the the mystery starts because uh, people, uh, you know, wonder what happened to these girls. Uh, and then uh, a little bit later, uh, on August 23, 1995, uh, two other girls disappeared. These girls are Anne Marshall and you Lambrex, Um, Oh, yeah, and I didn't say, but um, Julie and Melissa are eight and nine, I believe. Uh, Anne Marshall and Effie Lambrex are 17, 19. Uh, They go together to the the, the coastal region of Belgium, uh, Ostend, and that's where they spend uh, an evening with friends. Uh, They are rented a a little little house near the beach. Um, So they go to... uh, Uh, a magic show uh, at uh, Austin Casino, I believe. So there was a magic show going on that night, so they go there. Uh, The magic show goes on for the night and uh, they have to return by tram to their uh, little bungalow uh, where their friends are. Um, And turns out out there is no tram after 11pm so they have to walk there. Um, uh, And they, while walking there, uh, uh, a car stops and um, kidnaps them, and, and again uh, they were never heard of after. Um, and before going into the, the two last um, two last girls, which are Sabine and Letícia, which actually survived uh, the truth kidnapping, uh, I want to maybe go a little deeper into the Julie and Melissa case because uh, it's the f- Case that will lead to true And also, there's a lot of uh, inconsistencies um, about it. And there's clearly a, a, a botched investigation led by the police, uh, uh, the, the Belgian police there. So, um, turns out that after Julie Melissa disappeared, there's uh, actually quite a lot of testimonies. There were around twenty testimonies, but uh, the gendarmerie, which is in charge of the case, uh, the gendarmerie, which was then the, the paramilitary police force of Belgium. So, there's two police forces in Belgium in the nineties. That's the police, and that's the gendarmerie. And the gendarmerie is like the the, the more local force, but also there um from uh, uh, a military branch of the police. So they're like the paramilitary police, uh, and they're the, one, the ones in charge of the Jolie et Mesa case in Grassologne near Liège in Belgium. Uh they only take in account four testimonies. Uh there's uh you know um a composite sketch drawn of the of the person uh that apparently uh kidnapped the girls but it's not taken into account. Uh there's witnesses that claim to have seen a a red Ford Fiesta, uh, you know, driving around the neighborhood. Uh, And there's a lot of testimonies actually about that red car, and they're not taken into account. Uh, There's one testimony really, that's really interesting about this red car. So there's a doctor who writes to the police that he saw a red car and a van parked on the side of the highway uh, near Grassellung, which is, Graslon is a little village, which is, you know, uh, on the on the edge of an of an highway, and uh, the the village ends at the highway exit. So he saw the a red car and a van parked, you know, on the side of the highway, just a few kilometers away from Grasse-Lung. Um and they didn't seem to be broken down. You know, the the vehicles were there. Uh, they were just talking. There was a, a French license plate and a Belgian license plate. Uh, uh, and he believed the license plates, one of the license plates, excuse me, started with NKVO or NVKO. Turns out that uh, one of the true accomplices, uh, Michel Léger, was driving a, a Red Fiesta car, which had, um, you know, uh, a NVK, I think, uh, license plate. the The license plates were very similar. Um, And this uh, Red Fiesta car that uh, Michel Leliev had, it probably was not his. Um, They had a a little gang, you know, Dutroux and uh, and his accomplice in in Charleroi, where, you know, people were stealing things and all all that. You know, they knew each other. So they were probably like, they probably had that car as, as, you know, a a car they could use to do whatever they had to do. Um, And what's... Uh, you know, interesting about this car is that it ended up being destroyed soon after, at uh, at the end of 95, 1995 uh, and it was destroyed in a junkyard that belonged to a, a, a person named Bruno Tagliaferro, and that guy will die, uh, you know, of poisoning on the fifth of November, ninety five, uh, and the autopsy, which was led with the help of a, an official FBI lab. Uh, revealed that he was poisoned with cyanide. Um, and his wife said she believed he had dirty secrets on his clients, you know, and that he realized later that he was brought into the Jolie-Melissa case because he had destroyed the car that, saved for, that, that served, excuse me, for that kidnapping. Uh, and so his wife was also killed uh, later on. Well, she turned up dead. Uh, a, a mattress was burned, uh, people claimed it was suicide um, but you know the activity in the house pointed to the contrary you know uh, her mashing washing uh, washing machine excuse me was on running uh she was cooking potatoes for a dinner so it's um it's very suspicious and it's uh i think it's fair to say that uh, a red car a red little Ford fiesta was involved in some way uh, but why when people uh send a, a letter to the police that the police didn't, you know, ended up following that, that trail, I, I don't know. Um, So there's also stories about that red car uh, going around uh, other neighborhoods uh, near Grasolung. Uh, one in Oogré in particular does a story there which, uh, so the, the red Fiesta car was seen at 11.30 a.m. in Grasolung, the day of the disparition of the the kidnapping of uh, Julie and Melissa, and around 12 near Ugre, Oogre, uh, excuse me, there was apparently uh, an attempt kidnapping with a red car, again, that matched it, the, the description of um, the Red Fiesta car. So it seems like uh, something was going on there. Uh, so now, to get into things, this might be a little bit long, but I think it's really interesting uh, to show how mishandled the case was from the beginning. So on um, uh, July seven, so that's 30 days after the kidnapping of Julie and Melissa, uh, Charleroi gendarmerie, so that's a uh, uh, gendarmerie from where Marc Dutrieff is from, sends a fax to Krasolung's gendarmerie, which is the gendarmerie where Julie and Melissa went missing, and they alert them. They say that, Someone uh, was was previously previously charged with raping seven six or seven children in eighty six uh, could be a possible suspect potential suspect and that man was Marc Dutroux. So now, um, the that, what's funny is that uh, the Grasselung Gendarmerie um, doesn't follow up on that. So um, the the, the guy who was in charge of the gendarmerie in Crassoling is uh, Jean Lesage, um, and they report to the Brussels gendarmerie uh, of the information about the two, but they don't report it to the, to the the judge who was in charge of the Julie Melissa case in Liège, so that's near Crassoling uh, where the case is being investigated by, uh, uh, you know, a judge, uh, which is Martin Dutrault, and um, uh he doesn't inform her of uh, what the charleroi gendarmerie informed him and instead he keeps it you know like um he, he keeps it uh, i don't know like a secret you know um and uh so there's uh there's no communication between uh the investigation and the the local gendarmerie of uh, of uh, the, the town julie and melissa are from and um uh yeah so yeah i think uh if you can make a cut here i, I lost my my train of thought uh i'm going to my notes
1: here. oh no no worries um so is this um around when operation othello starts to kind of monitor dutro or is this come yeah. later
2: uh, this is what uh, I, I was uh, leading to. So, um, Operation Otello, like you said, uh, started in August ninety five. So that's an operation that's led by the Charleroi Gendarmerie, which is led by René Michaud. Uh, they start a special um, you know, surveillance operation on Dutroux. Uh, it's named Otello, Uh And it's focused on uh, Dutroux's house in Marcinelle, uh, which is where the children were um and uh that's uh you know they were trying to verify that he was involved in child trafficking and he was involved with julie and melissa uh and you know it's, it sounds like a, a a a whole operation you know like a big thing but the the reality is that you know the house was only observed i think six times uh at day uh and the uh, true was you know he was mostly active at night um they observed it so six times and uh while the was keeping up to four girls in that house and somehow they didn't find anything uh it, what's weird is that there were attempted uh, escapes from the the girls kept there you know uh, when anne if you uh, arrived at the marginal house if you try to escape uh, she succeeded once, she, she tried twice, but she, she even got on the small roof behind the house. Uh, you know, uh, and during that that operation, also a witness claimed to have seen Melissa uh, in front of the house, but, uh, you know, they never followed on it. Um, what, even going, you know, deeper into, you know, what people believed about, uh, what they knew about Dutroux. Uh, so a, a guy in the Grasse-Longue Gendarmerie Told uh, Melissa's uncle that they had located one of the girls, which is, I believe, Melissa, because she had been sighted. And they say that um, they are also located a predator. Uh, You know, uh, uh, the predator is a guy who's being paid uh, 150,000 francs, Belgian francs, to kidnap girls. Uh, So that that matches the true description because a police informant of the of the uh, Charleroi Gendarmerie uh, had reported to the Charleroi Gendarmerie that Dutroux offered up to 150,000 francs to, to kidnap girls, you know, so that, that matched uh, their information. Uh, and, you know, they said like, uh, yeah, we're we're trying to get to a, a, a network. So Dutroux is just A, in a network is we're trying to get to B, C, and D. Uh, trying to pull some kind of network up to down, um, uh, and they ended up not acting on it because they said that they were afraid of uh, that the the other girl would be in there and that she would be killed if you know they 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 had gone in. Uh, they, they even told like uh, the family to be ready for Christmas because uh, the by Christmas '95 the girls would be a woman all that. Uh, that never ended up happening um and uh so you know the uh, uh, othello operation ends uh at the end of 95 i believe uh coincidentally that's when Dutrou gets in jail in um december on december 6th uh he will go to jail on december 6 95 until march 20 96 uh, for uh you know kidnapping uh, this time not young girl not young girls but um uh, people you know the people he was involved with in the courseel gang so these were like petitives and uh, car traffickers and um so yeah they arrest him for that and he spends uh, you know a few months in jail and it's not uh, you know they they try they're trying to to get into that house but somehow you know they're they're struggling to get a search warrant and all that they fin- finally get it on the 13th of December uh you know while you was in jail for that totally different uh thing you know the it was apparently uh, he was ready to steal a truck he, he had sighted. and um uh people in his gang said that they were their truck to steal so you know they got into uh into an argument and you know, ended up kidnapping two of them it's you know it's kind of blurry but The thing is, you know, the police arrested him. Um, And, yeah, so René Michaud was in charge of the hotel operation, gets a search warrant on the 30th of December. You know, he was in jail. You know, they already got him in jail, even if it's not for the right thing. Uh, They can search his house in Marcinal, You know, I, I think they were like... People would think, like, if you read that, that, you know, that's it. That's where it ends. You know, they are searching his house. They're going to find the girls. Uh, He's already in jail. So, you know, if they can prove that it was him that kidnapped the girls and all that, he's staying in there. Uh, But no. (laughs) Michaud gets in the house. So uh, on the early morning, on the 13th of December, it's freezing outside. You know, it's December and Belgium, it's pretty cold. Uh, They make their way to the house you know, down into the basement. And uh, that's when Michaud hears children talking, whispering, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know what sound they were making, but I, I can, you know, just like children talking. Uh, and he says to, 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 to his crew to shut up, you know, he shouts almost. Um, and he doesn't hear them again. Um, and I think that's probably because the girls were thinking that's the true coming and he told them to shut up. So they shut up, you know. And what's more is that he heard voices, but he goes on saying that the voices were coming from outside. You know, it's probably nothing. Uh, But it's a Wednesday morning that day, the 13th of December. You know, the children are at school. It's freezing. You know, why would there be children outside playing? You know, and he knows at least Melissa could be there because they had sighted her. You know, they had that information. They, they, They were looking for caches, you know. Uh, the the Charleroi gendarmerie informant who said that Dutroux was paying 150,000 Belgian francs for girls also said that he was building cashes to keep girls in so they had that in mind while looking for the girls in there Uh, they had everything, every reason to believe that he was the guy uh, but no it doesn't do anything, you know, it doesn't even feel like empty walls, you know, like you could tap on a wall and see which, you know, where something worked in uh, to accommodate a cash a or all that, but it doesn't do anything, you know, he heard voices, he stops, you know, and then he doesn't do anything. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, how come you make a mistake like that? Like, even if it's, a cover, even if it's not a cover up, like I don't know, I think I'd live with guilt all my life because the girls were there. Um, uh, so yeah, to end it there, uh, I promise I'll be done soon. Yeah, uh, they actually took even objects from that. House. So let's remember when December 95 you choose isn't arrested for his kidnappings until uh, in the, uh I think it's uh, summer 96, I don't remember which one exactly. Uh, But they take from that search, from the house, they take uh, uh, a vaginal speculum, some vaginal cream, chains, you know, that were just lying around. And most importantly, around 100 VHS tapes. So the number isn't clear, but like a lot, uh, you know, some say 100, some say more, some say less. There's tapes that are there and they take them. Uh, And apparently, you know, uh, they, they get sent to Brussels, to the gendarmerie at Brussels. You know They view them and they say, oh, there's nothing on them, nothing suspect. So they get sent back to Dutroux when he gets out of jail in March 96. But, you know, when Dutroux gets arrested all that, uh, later on, a cop in 1999, he, ro- he watches three of the tapes that were kept at the gendarmerie in 96 when they sent them back to Dutroux. And he watches them until the end. And that's when he notices that at the at the end of one of them, there's uh, you know a homemade snuff movie by Dutru of one of the young uh, Slovak girls he had abused in June ninety five. So there were things on that, you know, on that uh, on that tape. And there's also footage of him working on the on one of the cash where he kept the girls. Uh, you know, in, if anyone had seen that in December 95, you know, they would have seen that he was working on a cash, They would have seen that he was abusing a girl on film, you know, that changes the whole thing. So why were they kept at the gendarmerie and why were the rest of them sent back to the true? You know, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, it, I could for hours, but yeah, let's leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it certainly goes past what, at least I can personally believe is incompetence. I mean, they finally get into the home. I mean, I mean, up until this point, you know, they've failed to notice the, you know, escape attempts. You have cameras that are failing to register anything. The detectives ignore the voice of the girls and, you know, the dead of winter when children aren't going to be out. There's this strange basement with brand new walls. They get chains, a speculum, vaginal cream, from the home and you know during this whole time there julie and melissa are inside there and so this brings um something else into account is that eventually julie and melissa if i remember properly they end up dying of starvation right but the period of time that they were inside there can can you talk just a little bit about that? Because, uh, the, you know they they were in there for a period of time, and you would think that they would have been long dead by the time that they were. That I I don't know I don't I, you you're the expert so I'll let you explain all of that.
2: Yeah, so uh, they were kidnapped in June '95. Uh, they were probably bringed. To brought, excuse me, to Marcinel, to the Marcinal House uh, in Charleroi. Uh, around that time, uh, you know, we don't have that information, so let's say that time, and they were found dead uh, in August 96, which is when, uh, you know, uh, when they freed um, uh, Sabine and Leticia, which were the, the two last victims of the six victim stint. Um, so, Up until December, Dutroux and his wife were there, you know, every day at the house. They would uh, feed the girls, even if it was like barely feeding them. Um, And it turns out that when Dutroux went to jail, he told his wife, you know, to uh, make sure the girls were fed. Well, at least that's what he says. Uh, And his wife didn't turn up uh, at all, you know, feeding the girls. So uh, it's, Awful to think about, but they were in there and they probably like died of starvation, you know, uh, slowly with uh, the months going by. Uh, I think the 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 parents of Julie and Melissa tried to to they they hired uh, a professional uh, professional uh, involved in um, you know a doctor that was involved in you know uh, studying how long you could go without uh, feeding and all that without uh, without eating and all that. Um, and he said that there was, you know, there was no way they could have survived uh, until March when he gets out of jail. But oh yeah, okay, sorry. L- let me go back in, in track. So, Duchu gets in jail in December. He tells, he tells his wife, you know, feed the girls. Uh, she doesn't do it. He gets out of jail in, um, uh, in uh, early 96, uh, March 96. Uh, he goes back to the house, notices that the girls were not fed, were slowly dying, uh, and that's when you know he he can do anything about it. Um, so he, he buries them, uh, and you know. So what I was saying is that the the, the parents you know were uh, uh, hired the professional, and the professional told them that uh, you know if they were still alive in March ninety six when Dutroux got out, they were probably like you know like that's you know it's. Barely, barely alive. Like you know, really. Uh, uh, honestly, I think the, I, I think they were already dead, and that you know, the truth felt some kind of. I don't know if it's regret or if it's you know, it's it's, it's just horrible, you know. And um, yeah, so that's when he buries Julie and Melissa. He gets rid of the body, of the bodies, and um, yeah. So I, I think that's the. That's the most, uh, you know, one of the most tragic stories about this is, you know, these girls were there when Michaud visited the house. Uh, he didn't act on it. Uh, you know, and then if you, I believe, were already killed because they had been living in the house with Julie and Melissa because he kidnapped them in August, that's just a month after, Julie, uh, two months after Julie and Melissa. But uh, they were too old according to the true and his, uh, the, the people involved with him. Uh, so he had to get rid of their of them they were 17 and 18 i believe i I said um uh so it it was just these girls you know in the house and then he, he went to jail and then they died horribly in there you know it's it's really tragic
1: absolutely the the reason i brought that up is not just to you know fixate on 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 the horrible details but i was just curious as if to If there was any evidence to suggest that perhaps somebody else had came through there, that would make sense that Dutro's lying
2: about the whole
1: thing. But if there could have been any abuse that took place during that, if someone's coming through to to feed them, because then that would obviously, you know, implicate more people um, being involved. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, So, yeah. I, I can go on on that if you want, you know, I, I have a, a Yeah, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to,
1: to hear a little bit about. I mean, it was something that okay. I was curious about during my research.
2: So, yeah, it, it turns out, you know, that uh, there were a, a lot of DNA evidence, you know, in this in this cache. I think it was up to the two hundreds different traces, DNA traces. Um, and, you know, there were errors and all kinds of things like that. Uh, there were never really uh, analyzed by a- any sort of a professional, you know, and it's, uh, I think the, the parents of Julien Melissa believe that uh, people came to the cache, uh, you know, that while the truth was not there, uh, you know, even probably before that, that, I don't know. If you believe the truth involved in uh, human trafficking, that he kidnapped these girls to sell them uh, to, to a- any kind of uh, human trafficking network, uh, you would have, you know, people coming over and uh, seeing the girls. Now, were they just coming over, you know, to, to to see the girls and see if they wanted them, or would they come over to, you know, abuse the girls? In their, uh, there, there's no like direct evidence pointing out to that, uh, but you could you could surely um, uh, wonder. Because I I have a, uh, it's not Julie Melissa, but it's uh, Anne and Afia. I I read in the X-Files book uh, about that, that, you know, when he kidnapped uh, Anne and he he had them brought to another house, you know, and that's when uh, someone turned up, um, according to Michel Lelievre, which is one of uh, Dutroux's accomplices. And that person was there to check out the girls. You know, he was there to buy them, to put it uh, plainly. Um, and when he saw them, uh, that's when he said, you know, that these girls were too old. There were 17, 18 that did not interest him. Um, and, you know, and uh, in, in saying that, Michel Rieve, uh points out that the, the, the guy was like, you know, you could tell the truth was intimated, intimidated by that guy. You know, he was like, you know, showing the girls and like acting like, oh, my God, I hope he he takes them, you know. Um, And, yes, that could be a reason why um, Dutroux, well, that that could be uh, a thing that Dutroux was having people over, you know, either to abuse the girls or to, you know, as awful as it is, like, to check them out. And I also believe that the fact that these girls were too old and a nephew, that's the reason why Dutroux went for uh, Sabine and Leticia later on. Because you know he had to get girls to sell, so or, or if not to sell, like to be paid for. So that's why he kidnapped two girls again.
1: Okay, so that that makes sense. Now, what I'm trying to think about is where we should maybe go from here. Now, we um, I think that we've covered the uh, uh, the kidnappings to a pretty good extent. So do you think that it would maybe make sense to yes. talk about the arrest that took place afterwards of Dutroux and with like Michel Nehul? or do you think that it would make more sense to uh, g- go some other route with it? Uh,
2: I, I think uh, I, I can talk a little bit about Sabine and Leticia, as I've not talked about them a, a lot, just like, you know, and, you uh, Point paint the, the global picture, very visual picture, and then from then go into Neil because that's when Neil gets in the picture when Sabine and Letitia are you know um, kidnapped. So perfect. That's I'll, right, I'll let okay. you.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's perfect. All right. So Sabina, uh, Sabin, and Letitia, the uh, last two kidnappings. So what is wh- what happens there, and how does that end up relating to Neil?
2: Hello?
1: Yes, yes. Can you hear me?
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. My, my, my sound cut off. Sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, no so, worries. Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, Sabine and Leticia, uh, how does that link into Neil? Well, uh, Sabine was kidnapped uh, on May 28, 1996. Um, she was cycling to school. Uh, she disappeared uh, near Tournai, I believe. Uh, and um. Letitia was kidnapped later on, on August 9, 1996, uh, in, near the Bertri swimming pool. Um, uh, and uh, the most interesting uh, kidnapping, if I can put it in these words, is the Leticia kidnapping, because uh, uh, Sabine was kidnapped by a van. Uh, she was just simply, simply shoved into the van, and you know, uh, she had. Um, uh, how oh, do you say it? Um, you know the the thing you put on um, on um, on some kind of tissue, and you put it on someone's mouth, and they. Oh, like,
1: chloroform.
2: Uh, yeah, chloroform. Excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah. So she was kidnapped like that. But uh, Leticia, apparently, uh, there was something larger at play here. Uh, at least that we could know know of, because. Um. Uh, Letitia was kidnapped by Marc Dutroux and Michel Lelievre so they were in, identified by her. Uh, as were, um, I, I think Sabine also identified them as the other as kidnappers. Uh, but there's also talk of Neil being there, not kidnapping the girls, but you know, seeing, overseeing the whole thing. You know, there's people that claim to have seen him uh, on the kidnapping scene at Bertry near a swimming pool. Um, there's a, I think it's a, it's a Flemish or Dutch family. So uh, a family from the north of Belgium that speaks Dutch. Um, they were, um, you know, on the, near the, the, the swimming pool and they had seen uh, days prior uh, a man that they believed to be Michel Newell there, you know. Um, and it turns out that uh, later on when, uh, you know, the investigators, uh uh, arrested Mark Dutroux, search his house, uh, search the house of Michel Lelier, his accomplice, and, and all that, they had found, you know, ecstasy pills, uh, around 1,000 of them in Michel Lelier's house, uh, around the same amount at Mark Dutroux's house, and they were, um, they were the same as uh, ecstasy pills that Michel Newell had gotten from uh, the Belgian police. So, now, how does that happen? Uh, Michel Newell, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, was, uh, you know, he was kind of someone that's um, into politics and all that, but we'll get to that later. He was a kind of a a con man, you know, someone that's that's made his way to the top, uh, that had protection. Uh, and it turns out that he was an informant from uh, the gendarmerie, I think the Brussels gendarmerie, the, the, the wing of the Brussels gendarmerie that was working on drugs. Uh, and he uh, he was involved in a, in a drug trafficking scheme with uh, a, a man, uh, an Englishman, I believe, that had made his way to Belgium to sell ecstasy. And so Neil decided to give up the guy, you know, to the police, uh and to you know cut a deal with the, with the police and um yeah basically like you know crook police and uh, neil working together to you know arrest that guy and neil would get the drugs for himself uh and so it is believed that so they were identified identified as neil's ecstasy pills because he had them also at his house you know they they had the same little symbol on the pills uh, and it is believed that, uh, you know, he paid Le Lievre and Dutroux with his pills that they could sell, you know, for the kidnapping of uh, Laetitia. Um, so that's, that's you know, that's how you you, you link uh, Neil and Dutroux. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I can go on about uh, Neil a little bit if you want.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be the perfect place to go to next because he is... You know, and I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, you, when I was researching all of this, I began to see these you know weird things with Dutroux, like uh, you know the, the multiple houses and how you know the uh, Operation Otello seems to uh, you know uh, the, the detectives going into the house and ignoring you know the the noises of children and, and stuff like this. But it's really with Neil that you begin to start to understand this larger network that's at play and he's kind of at the uh you know i I wouldn't go so far as to say necessarily that you know he's like the ringleader or all this but it's really where you begin to see this larger network fleshed out and be able to kind of understand what is actually going on here
2: yeah So, uh, I'll provide a a, a little biography about uh, Neil, you know, just some basic bio information. Then I'll go on on, uh, how important that guy actually is. Uh, So, there's uh, not a lot of information available about him, you know, about his life before the the true affair. He was born in 1941 in Verviers, so that's near uh, Liège, Belgium. And uh, he lived, you know, a pretty basic life. You know, in in 1959, uh, at 18, he had to do his compulsory military service uh, in Germany. Uh, So Belgium sent, uh, you know, uh, people to do their military services in Germany at the time because they had uh, an agreement with NATO. So he went there uh, and did his his service. Then um, he had... uh, all kinds of job while growing up in his teens and then his uh, early adult life. So um, he, he had uh, he obtained uh, an interior architect diploma from uh, l'Académie des Beaux Arts de uh, of Verviers. and then in his early twenties, like he started working. You know, all kinds of small time jobs. He, he worked as an house uh, as a store employee. Um, uh, he didn't. Have trouble finding jobs but he didn't keep him for long um, he, he said he was lying to his friends about working at a, a radio station uh, while he was probably uh, stacking shelves you know as a store employee uh, he spent his weekends uh, playing casino in Mittelkerk, so that's a coastal Belgian town uh, his dad had gotten a job there as a as a dealer at the casino uh, he, he he ends up having kids in 1962 with uh, his first wife Adrienne Goy. Um, you know, and that's when uh, things start really happening for Michel because his dad, that had gotten uh, a deal job at the casino, had made money and had bought uh, a hotel, had opened a hotel uh, that was called the stores Hotel, Hotel des Étoiles in French, uh, and his son Michel uh, takes over in 1964. Um, and he buys the drugstore directly next to the the hotel in uh, in '65 and opens his own nightclub, which is called Le Truc, which is the thing in English. Um, you know, and is in his uh, autobiographies, he brags about taking over you know uh, nightlife in uh, uh, with his uh, with his. Um, nightclub you know having a local celebrity showing up so already you can see the the, the kind of guy he is you know he's always bragging always you know um uh, uh, bragging about his, his connections uh and i I don't even know if that's true, really. Like, I'm, um, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he was probably lying about that. Um, and then, uh, after being in charge of the hotel and the office nightclub, uh, he gets bankrupt in 1968, and that's the first of many, 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 many bankruptcies. Uh, you know, he, he decides to move to Brussels uh, to to avoid creditors. Um, he starts working random jobs again. Uh, you know, and he ends up um, again being convicted of fraudulent bankruptcy because, uh, you know, he, he's lying about his uh, his titles. You know, he's presenting himself as a construction expert, a legal advisor, real estate agent, you know, a, a con man, basically. Um, he, he always, you know, builds companies out of thin hair. You know, where does he get the money? Nobody knows, but somehow he always, you know, creates new companies, you uh, um, and uh, finally, in 1976, he's sentenced to a year of prison, uh, and that's when, um, well, he doesn't do the year of prison. Actually, he does only two months of prisons. Uh, and why is that? That's because Neil gets uh, a reducted sentence. You know, he asks for a, a royal pardon, a, a, a grâce royale. So that's that sounds, you know, kind of official and all that. But apparently, it's not that uncommon to ask for. Uh, It is unclear to me why, you know, he would ask for a royal pardon and why he would be given it. Um, I don't understand why, but I thought that was interesting when I was researching Neil. Um, So, yeah. Um, When he was, you know, getting into more and more bankruptcies, his first wife finally uh, divorced him. Uh, You know, they took, she took, excuse me, their children uh, and left him in uh, 1975. Uh, and that's, that's when he, met, he meets his second wife, which is uh, Annie Bouty. And that's the most important connection in Neil's life so far, I believe, because she was, uh, so, okay, <laughs> bear with me here. She was a lawyer for uh, the CEPIC, which is spelled C E P Y C, which is a right wing. Uh, smaller group inside of the Christian Democrats party in Belgium, which were involved with um, all kinds of, you know, far-right activity, including uh, financing uh, a far-right publication, a far-right magazine, which is called Nouvelle Europe magazine, or New Europe magazine, which, you know... uh, is a magazine that will come up if we get to talk about things like the Brabant killers and all that. So you know, you, you can kind of see the picture I'm painting here, uh, hopefully, which is you know she was connected to all these people from the SEPIC, the Christian Democrats, which were very much so involved with um, with all these far right activities. Uh, and the thing is that with as his, you know as, as his wife. Uh, Michelle starts working also you know from time to time with SEPIC, you know organizing parties, uh, running uh, campaigns you know political campaigns and all that during the 70s and uh, early 80s. And that's when uh, Newell gets to um, a point in his life which is unknown to me. Uh, to where he's organizing parties for all these, you know, these lawyers, these politicians, and all that. But they're not exactly like the kind of party you would attend, like someone normal, let's say. They're more of, uh, you know, uh, elite parties where allegedly uh, there's orgies going on and all that. And you can see that, you know, Neil has made his way into the, the social leader, you know, being a con man. Uh, but basically, spawning money out of thin air and he had made it into you know being someone who worked now for uh one of the largest political parties at the time in belgium which is which is the christian democrats uh and that's you know we'll talk about these people later the sepic because they're also people involved you know in uh the Brabant killers and there are also people involved in the in the x-files so yeah that's kind of how as far as I know, because like I said, there's not a lot of information about Neil available. That's kind of how he got where he was in the eight in the eighties, and then in the in the nineties when he was arrested for uh, helping the, the kidnapping of Leticia.
1: Very interesting. So we can start to see how, through his wife, he has these connections to SEPIC, which is this you know kind of smaller faction of the Christian Democratic Party and you know we'll we'll get into later probably how a lot of uh kind of operation gladio type stuff was taking yeah. place in in belgium and so that starts to kind of you know set the set the groundwork for where uh, you know listeners probably from the beginning of the show were thinking that this would end up leading to but yeah nihil nihil is uh, a very important uh character when it comes to this whole Dutro affair.
3: Six and a half hours Into the West Virginia night Half a mile from home And I was making pretty good time I thought that I'd gone far enough I couldn't lose the trail Then I stepped Through the door, I still found a way to fail Now I can't start to count the things I said I'd never be But I became them all the night quit counting on me and all the hard things that you said to my heart every one of them things was true and it was that one look at the end that one look at the end that one look at Big gray owl above me Starts again to wail Says that moon has got so low tonight That it's polishing the rails And that mountain engine's running About 30 years too late But once you hear it coming will not let you wait I used to think that tomorrow Was just out there waiting for me But now I wonder where tomorrow I wonder where tomorrow I wonder where tomorrow Is gonna be Tonight when I am rolling over the earth's most lonesome ground I will think of all ways next time I will try not to let you down I thought that I'd live long enough that the light would come shining through Don't this look like the dark? Don't this look like the dawn? Don't this look like the dark? Don't this look like the dark? Don't this look like the dawn? Don't this look like the dark?
2: Thank you.